0: You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. Now, it wouldn't be summer without a sea of white tents popping up like mushrooms at Stevens Lake Park. The Columbia Art League's Art in the Park is now in its 61st year and artists from across the country are descending upon Columbia today to set up. Having been the executive director of the Columbia Art League for over a decade and managed 11 Art in the Park festivals, I know exactly how much hard work goes into putting this event together. Managing festivals is like painting a bridge. As soon as you finish, it's time to start over for the next year's event. The festival itself is like the surprise lily which suddenly pokes out of the ground. But what only a handful of people see is all the activity that makes the surprise lily appear. And two of those people are with me today. The Columbia Art League's operations manager, Louise Sava and board member and true Art in the Park starwart, Anastasia Pottinger. Now, later in the show, I'll be chatting with three of the artists who will be at the festival this weekend. But first, hello, Louise and Anastasia. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you for making time. Now, at this point in the Art in the Park arc, I was literally counting the number of hours I Mm -hmm. had to physically get through Mm -hmm. until the most blissful day of the year, the Monday after Art in the Park. So how are you holding up, Louise?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. It's definitely that feeling. I think I booked myself a hair appointment on Monday. That's like my treat to myself after Art in the Park is to do
0: something to treat yourself. I used to book an hour and a half massage.
2: Oh, yeah. Do so you want to know what my wife put on the calendar for Monday? What? Nothing.
0: St- Stacy sleeps
2: all day. Oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> you do need to have something to look forward to because there were just so many points over the weekend when you think my ankles are going to give way anymore. I cannot walk another step and I'm so sweaty but somehow it always it flies by really once it's there and happening it's all
2: a blur at the end of it it's all so much fun in the middle of it I don't even I mean it's the hardest work I ever do all year I think for three solid days and it's I don't know I don't. We must be crazy. I don't know what we, we, we keep signing up for it, but I absolutely love art in the park with all my heart. I know. I 100% agree.
1: It is so fun. It's a lot of hard work, but it feels so good, and it's such a
2: blast. Yeah.
0: Well, Stacey, this is what your 10th Art in the park. So
2: I think it's my tenth. Yes. And well, I mean, as on the committee, like. You know, working hard all year long
0: on it. Well, I mean, I've you've been al- many times before that. Right. But as a volunteer, it's yes. your 10th year as a volunteer. And you always donate three days of your time to the festival. And you wrote on Facebook, this is my festival, the one that is nearest and dearest to my heart. Of all the Como festivals, and I volunteer at several of them, this is the one I give my sweat for sure, my blood occasionally, and tears sometimes all year long. So, what keeps you coming back?
2: Do you know what I I think it's the people. <laughs> it's got to be the people that I work with and just the the joy on the people's faces who come to Art in the Park. And I think also just knowing what it meant for me the first time I went. And in my just personal history, I'll just say that it's where I met my in-laws for the very first time. My partner and I were in town for the a weekend or some visitor. I, I'm not sure. We were visiting, coming through town. And we went to Art in the Park. And it was a big deal for her family. They always came. They had been... And I believe this was when we were still over at, um, over on Stevens Campus.
0: Stevens Green, I think it's called. Yeah,
2: exactly. And uh, it's where that's when I met them for the very first time. And I have a ring. I've lost every ring I've ever owned. My class ring twice. My wedding band twice. This little dollar fifty ring that I bought at that or in the park I'm showing like you guys can see it it's just a little <laughs> braided or twisted piece of silver and that's the only, that's the only ring I've never lost And I got it at that hour in the park oh. so it means a lot to me and my family they all volunteer too
0: You know, people would always say to me, it's the one event they just really look forward to every year and it's the start of summer and everything. Now, Louise, this is your third Art in the Park. You were one of the super core volunteers the first year. You worked all weekend from 7am on Friday morning as the first artist arrived until the final loading of the golf carts onto the trailer at 8pm on Sunday night. Then the second year, you were on staff at the Columbia Art League in the newly created role of operations manager. And now you are on the brink of your third festival as a seasoned organiser. So what do you think some of your misperceptions were that first year and what are your third year insights
1: oh gosh well let's see when I first started three years ago I was just a volunteer at the Columbia Art League and I remember Diana you reached out to me and said hey do you want to you know maybe help us a little bit with this and I was like sure you know no problem I'd love to and by it the end was, of the festival, we are like, who's that Louise? We need to keep her around. <laughs> it was like jumping into the deep end. I mean, that is just what took off my whole relationship with the Columbia Art League, and that's why Art in the Park is so special to me, and that I love it. It's because it's really, you know, given me this community of people like Stacey talked about, and the joy that it brings people, the artists, the visitors, the volunteers, everyone who is involved it just loves it. And so that's really fun to be a part of that. But as far as misconceptions, I just remember, my first year just having so much fun. It was just a blast. I just was told to do this and that and just and was like, okay, happy little bee. you know, I'll just do this and that. So being on the other end and planning it, I definitely see more of the intricacies and a lot of the hard work that so many people put into making it happen. And that has been really fun to kind of get my hands dirty in all of that and really be a part of that. But it is, it takes a lot of hard work and so I'm happy to be on that
0: team. And there's just a lot of details. Yes. So many details.
2: Um, that's what the 2,000 emails today are all about is the details. And it, it, people don't under, realize probably how many community people are involved beyond just the board of directors of the art league or people who work at the art league there are people who are just in the community doing their jobs who we get on this committee to work and then they're you know volunteering their time and i don't know maybe it's not okay to say they're volunteering their work time and and printing things and just doing all manner of things uh for art in the park that all this stuff that happens beyond the scenes to make it fun for everybody it's great Yeah, absolutely. The details are, I think, too, what makes the
1: festival just stand out. It makes it so special. And so that's what, you know, really brings the artists back It's just putting in that little extra touch, that little bit of polish that really shows them that we are, Columbia is a great town to come and sell your wares and to be a part of this festival.
0: Now, I know that every year the Art League receives so many lovely notes of thanks from the artists who come to the festival. And here's one I picked off the official application website. Honestly, this was the best run show I have participated in in 10 years you've got it down to a science i think you are doing above average and i will continue to brag on the entire event all the way down to the frozen washcloths (laughs) (laughs) so louise what components of the artist's overall experience at art in the park stands out the most in the notes you receive
1: Definitely all of the time and dedication that our volunteers put in. That is always what the artists notice most. It takes almost 200 volunteers just over this one weekend to put it all together, not counting all the volunteers that work throughout the year to help with it. And so they pick up on that every year. They're so grateful to all the volunteers who dedicate their time, who just are so happy and cheery, even on the hottest of weekends somehow, you know, they just have such a smile on their face. And the artists absolutely know that. And that's the one thing that we always get compliments on is our wonderful volunteers.
0: Stacey, you interact a ton with the artists when you help them load all their art into the Mm -hmm. festival on Friday and help them ferry everything back to their vehicles on Sunday evening. Anything to add on what they say to you? Oh, usually they're just so excited that they have help. A lot of
2: the festivals, they have to load all their stuff in on their own, so they all have little two-wheeler carts and little cool ways that they've invented to move their art and their stands and their Elves and everything in but getting to interact with them you know at the beginning when everyone's excited and then at the end just asking them how it went and everybody's in a hurry to get out and get back to their homes and stuff but they're still really excited and I think I just echo what Louise said is that we hear so much that it's the volunteers really that make this festival fantastic for the for the artists.
0: That and the frozen washcloths. That and probably... Yes, I mean, we true. should definitely
2: mention the lavender-scented frozen washcloths. Sure.
0: Are they lavender this year, not lemongrass? Oh, excuse
2: <laughs> me. I meant lemongrass because we don't want to put them to sleep. We want them to stay awake and be refreshed in the afternoon. It's... Uh, can I just tell a small story about those? So it's interesting because my wife, Linda, has dipped those in water and rolled and frozen them for the last, I'm not sure how many years. But uh, now my son, who's 14, that's the job he wants. He wants to hand out the frozen (laughs) washcloths. That's not a checkbox on the volunteer application form, but I'm sure he'll get a chance to do that this
0: year. That was such a hit the first year we did Mm -hmm. it. It was going to be a super hot year and I was thinking, you know, what can we do because everyone's going to be just so toasty. And I remembered that when I worked in hotels in Asia, that when you arrive at this lovely resort and you're waiting to check in and you're all hot off the bus, that what you get is you get this nice little glass of tea and you get a frozen washcloth and it used to feel so amazing. And I'm like, imagine if we could do that And I said to one of our volunteers at the time, I called her on the Wednesday and I said, Hey, can you go down to you know supermarket and can you buy tons of, of washcloths and then we're gonna roll them up and we're gonna spray them and then we're gonna put them in the freezer. And Lisa said, mm really i'm only doing it because it's you i mean it was just like are you kidding me but it was then we gave them out on the oh, sunday so and if amazing. we had given them a bar of gold i don't think it would have had the same effect Absolutely. they would have
2: thrown the bar of gold aside they
0: wanted those cold washcloths and yes. now and now it's, you know, it's a rod for our own back because now we're famous for the frozen washcloths right. so right. to keep on doing them so stacy imagine you were explaining art in the park to someone who had never been before why should they go
2: Well, they should go, I was just about to say, I'm just going to say it, for the Jamaican lemonade and the (laughs) uh, kettle corn, of course. (laughs) And then, while they're munching on that, they've got to just peruse all of, just walk through the entire artist village and see everything. Um, All the different art that there's... I think Louise said sixty percent of the artists are not, or sixty are from Columbia? are from Missouri, are from mm-hmm. Missouri, and then forty percent, yeah, and then forty percent are from outside of the state. And so I just think that we have an opportunity to see other art that we haven't seen before, meet with different artists. I think it's really fun to get to engage the artists. That's been really great for my my kids have, and then they bought art from from them, and then received their postcards the next year to say they're coming. And so they used to cut up uh, Randall Spangler's postcards with his dragons on them and Isaac used to cut them up and put them up on his wall and he was so excited to have that relationship uh, with the artist. And then aside from just viewing and seeing the art, the kids art spots are amazing and one of our best things I think we do besides kettle corn and Jamaican lemonade would be the um, Young Collectors tent. Maybe Louise wants to talk about that.
0: Yeah, tell us about that Louise. Yeah,
2: so the Young Collectors tent is for kids that are
1: aged 4 to 14. They pay $5 to go into to a tent that is all their own. There is no adults allowed. And we have worked with the artists in the village to collect little pieces of art that they have donated to this tent. So for $5, the kid can go in and pick out a piece of art that is all their own. They get to choose... They get to choose it all entirely themselves, and it's just this wonderful experience that they get to be a part of buying art and starting a collection, and I have been to so many people's houses in Columbia whose kids say, oh, you know, I collected this at the Young Collectors Tent, and they show me their collection of all their things and what they've made at the kids' art tent, and it is just so cool to be in someone's home and see how much this festival is a part of their daily
0: lives and their homes and their memories, and it's just so, so special. And I love with the Young Collector's Tent, what you always do is you give them a map of the festival and you circle where their artists are, whichever work they've chosen, then you show them where that person is. And then they can go back and they meet the artist and it's like they're meeting a rock star. Absolutely. absolutely,
1: There was uh, a little boy last year who went to the Young Collector's Tent and picked out a piece of work by Maggie McCarthy. And his mom said every year he goes to the Young Collector's Tent and always wants to get her piece and then always goes and finds her in the artist village. And so it's fun being on the organ side because we get to see all the photos and the stories that come out after that of this little boy and this artist that he really looks up to that he met at Art in the Park. And... and that
0: is true of Ernest Hildebrand too. He said the wood artist who lives here in town, he said there's a little boy that always buys, always gets his wooden bowls and then comes back to show him that he oh. got the Ernest's bowl every year and it's just really adorable. It is
3: so special.
0: I think the volunteers love volunteering in that area too because you just, you know, take the kids around, you talk a little bit about art and, and they choose something that means something to them and yes. not not what what dad says right we have
2: a little tent to occupy the parents with some music playing and so the parents are well taken care of maybe we should provide frozen washcloths at that tent as well maybe next year yeah Yeah. maybe next year (laughs) i just had a look of panic
0: (laughs) i'm not rolling them yeah exactly So Louise, explain how the artists are chosen for the festivals. I think it's kind of an opaque process to anyone not involved in the art festival world. I remember one patron one year sending me a really snippy email because her favorite artist wasn't at the festival and I had tried to explain the jury process to her, but she just accused me of being exclusive and a snob. So I clearly failed at explaining it sufficiently well. So Louise, you explain it.
1: Oh gosh, okay. So we open up applications online in the fall and we keep them open for a couple months. So it's an open application process. Anyone can apply. We lay out all of the rules, all the regulations. You have to have four images of your artwork and one image of your booth shot. And then we collect all that information and we hire a panel of five to seven art professionals. And so an art professional could be anyone who is a curator at a gallery or at a museum, um, a working artist, a festival artist themselves, anyone who has the credentials and the qualities to be able to be, you know, jurying and judging this artwork. So we all get together and they do a scoring process. And so they score all of the applications and we go through, we talk about every single one and we go back and forth till we basically have a list of artists that have the score to be invited. And then we also create a wait list so that if any of those artists are not able to attend, we can invite some artists off the wait list as well.
0: And that's all an an anonymous process. So nobody knows whose work it is. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then how do you balance the medium so I remember that always you know we get 250 applications mm-hmm. and maybe 50 of those are from jewelers but it's not a jewelry festival it's a fine art festival so you want a little bit of everything so you do at the front end you have some medium that are really heavy on the applications ceramics always a lot of ceramics jewelry sometimes photography is really mm-hmm. heavy how do you balance that so our most popular categories are
1: always jewelry ceramic and wood and that is true for this year as well so it makes it really competitive to apply apply. apply under those processes. So we leave that up to the jurors and we say, you know, this is these are the numbers that we're working with, and we want to create a balanced festival. And so we work with them to, they make all the decisions on who is invited, and then we work with them as an organizer to look at the balance of mediums and try to create a really balanced show so that we can invite some of those um, really competitive and really popular mediums, and then also invite a lot of our, you know, more traditional and 2D mediums as well so that there's a great spread of artists across the board.
0: Right, and finding the jurors to help you select the artists is also a process in and of itself, because you don't really want to have more than one or two local people, because there's a danger of favoritism. They might know some of the artists whose work they see who live in the community. You need to find people who have a good eye for a cross section of media, a variety of media. If you've got someone that's an amazing painter but can't assess jewelry, then they're not good as an overall juror. And I like to have a geographical cross section. So you have people from St. Louis and Kansas City. Um, You have a mixture of male and female of different ages. So how did you choose the jurors and who were they this year?
1: It's always interesting to kind of think about how we choose the jurors. We reach out to organizations or people that we know in the St. Louis and Kansas City areas and we ask around and we say you know who do you think would be good we look up credentials we email people so we're always you know taking those recommendations and trying to find people that will be good for this so this year we had a handful of jurors um let me see if I can remember because we did this all the way back it was a long (laughs) way yes so we had um a jeweler out of Kansas City Edna Madeira and she was wonderful we had Teresa St. Vrain who is a metalsmith um here in Columbia. We had Sharon Hyatt-Wade, who is a art educator and just an all-around fantastic artist here in Columbia as well. And we also had Leanne Perello who runs the Capital Arts in Jefferson City. We had David Smith, who um, is with the St. Louis Art Fair, and he's a board member there and was wonderful. And then um, finally, we also had Thomas Pichet, who is the curator at the Dom Gallery. So mm, he was fantastic to work with people. as well. Yes, it was a great panel this Sounds year. Sounds like a rock star it Drury. was awesome. I know. I'm like, can we just use you guys every year? But of course, we always change it up.
0: <laughs> we do repeat people, but we have a different collection of people. So yes. somebody might repeat every couple of years, but they'll be with different people. So it adds yes. a different flavor. It's all
1: about the mixture of the panel. So that's it is. what we look for.
0: And Stacey, as well as everything else you do, you are, of course, also an artist yourself with a noteworthy career in the field of photography. And photography is a medium for which we always used to get a lot of entries. You and I have had many discussions about contemporary photography and how in the the age of the smartphone, there is an explosion of people who call themselves photographers. So, what's your take on photography at art shows? Not necessarily Art in the Park, but just art shows generally, and what kind of photography you see?
2: I don't know if I'm going to make a big statement on that today, <laughs> but I will say I'm excited to see. There's one particular photographer who's coming to Art in the Park that I just read about, I believe, yesterday, and I can't remember what their name is. Louise might be able to help me out, but I don't know. They uh, I'm not gonna be able to remember all the details, but they do something different with their photography. It's not just a photograph in a frame or printed and putting up, you know plastic or cards or whatever. It's they they were manipulating image, not just manipulating images. They were doing something unique to it, and I don't think it was just printing on gold. I don't. I just oh man, I'm not gonna remember all the details, but I think if I don't know, I I, I support all photographers in their right to. So
0: diplomatic. <laughs> See if you can work out which the photographer is when you go to art in the park. Who was Stacey trying to remember? Yes, exactly. answers on a postcard, please. Yes, yes. To the Columbia, send those they?
2: in on a five dollar bill, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. He so, shared the art in the. I know that they shared the art in the park post, and that's how I. That's how I found their page and was reading up on them.
0: So. Okay. Now we have three artists here in the second half of the show to talk about their work. But Louise, tell us about some specific artists who are maybe here for the first time, whose work you are interested to see in person at the festival.
1: Hmm. Well, let's see. I'm very excited to see everyone. I know that's very cliche to say, but really, truly, you know, with my role, I work primarily with artist communication, so I talk to these people all, like, for the last couple months, and so seeing them in person is very, very exciting. We have about 40% of our artists this year are brand new, have never been to Art in the Park. So, it's always interesting because all we get from them is their name and information, and then, like, four photos of their work, so it's kind of like you don't, you don't know what their whole booth is going to look like in their whole body of work, so I'm definitely excited to see you know that 40% of artists that are brand new and um, just see how they start to become favorites and keep applying and coming back. So there are a few artists that are actually members of the Columbia Art League that have gotten into art art in the park this year for the first time, which is always kind of like a little win of ourselves, you know, seeing our members get out there and trying these new things. So I'm really excited to see El Hinna. She's a jeweler out of the St. Louis area. She lived in Columbia for a while, and I know she's to Art in the Park a few times and she got in this year and her work is just gorgeous and she's one who I've really seen her work improve over the last couple years and just change and see her start to come into her craft and so I'm very, very excited to see her booth and just see her at Art in the Park this year.
0: Now we talked about the jurors who choose the artists who be at the festival but there is another tier of decision making that needs to be made this weekend and that's choosing the award winners. Talk us through that process, Louise.
1: So in addition to hiring jurors we also hire three awards judges for the weekend, and they come to Columbia over the weekend, and um, we basically divide up the festival into thirds. They each jury third. We come back and talk, and then they go and score the top artists. So our, our jurors this year are Kenny Green of Columbia. He's a jeweler here. Um, he runs Monarch Jewelry over in the North Village Arts District area. Sarah Fletcher out of Boonville, and she is an art educator in the, and an artist in the area, and she's really wonderful. And then um, Jillian Kirkpatrick out of Kansas City, and she is a installation artist and in mixed media. She works in a lot of different mediums, and I found her I think through another art fair online just, you know, Googling names, and so I'm excited for her to come into so that'll be just a fun group to work with
0: now we used to do awards per category so we'd have the best in wood, best in glass but then last year or two years ago we kind of changed that out a little bit so now you do best in show and then you do the top nine yes. overall
1: yes so we do um, we kind of stopped doing categories to make it a little bit more fair across the board so that people are judged on the quality of their work overall as opposed to trying to fill you know or if
2: there's less if there compa- was just two yeah. photographers saying then you have the best photographer Yes, and next best photographer. Right, so. exactly.
1: And so we do a first, second, and third place best in show, and then we do eight awards of excellence. And so those are the top eight artists um, after those. And then there's the Mayor's Choice Award, and then we award awards in our Emerging Artists and
0: Veterans Art Pavilions as well. And the same jurors choose those, same yes. awards jurors choose the awards there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stacey, in terms of staffing for the festival, do you have all the volunteers you need at this point, or can people still sign up I believe <laughs> that we are stock full of volunteers <laughs> well that's great so there's not any need shift. I mean or...
2: you know if somebody was feeling really energetic on Sunday uh say around four o'clock and you're just like oh I just had a great nap it's lovely out oh, I wish I could exercise or do something come on down to Stevens Lake Park and we will put you to work breaking down the festival and unloading
0: those uh those artists Festival breakdown is an amazing experience. I mean, on Friday when everybody arrives, they start arriving at seven thirty a.m. and one by one the tents start popping up, and then by five o'clock it's like wow, here's a whole sea of tents, exactly. and that's over like an eight, nine, ten hour period. But on Sunday afternoon, the festival ends in it. At- <laughs> yeah, I wish <laughs> the festival ends at four, and everybody wants to leave at the same time, and so managing the parking lot, managing the golf carts, managing the volunteers and how you get people out is a military operation. It is. So you need people with a lot of energy. I
2: mean, it's always great. And I think we wouldn't turn anybody away who showed up at 4, 4. 4.30 on Sunday and said, hey, is there any way I can help? Uh, We'd put a T-shirt on you and assign you to a team and let you help load and unload golf carts with all of your energy. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think... And, you you know,
2: I've made best friends, I mean, friends for life from that experience just by having them on my team. We're good friends. We never had never met before, but we loaded out Art in the
0: Park one year and now we're friends and so it was always like, right, one me, of my me. favorite parts of the yeah. festival of course because it's all over and i can actually breathe finally but when the last artist has left and has been ferried out in their golf carts and it's about quarter to eight eight o'clock and the guy comes down from Mobile with a giant truck to pick up all of the eight or nine golf carts there's something that has to happen first it's the Stacey. french
2: connection Diana started this. The Italian joke. Oh, sorry. I just not ever remember the movie. I'm going to have to watch it before this year. But Diana started a tradition of, uh, I think it's supposed to be like a parade, but then we turned it into a race a little bit. I don't know. It's out of control. Uh, driving all the golf carts, one circuit, everybody who's there left at the park, that's all the volunteers who are left. No artists. They're not allowed. But mm-hmm. the volunteers who are still there standing at the end of the day, all jump into a golf cart and we take one circuit around uh, around the park, the entire park, yelling and screaming and honking. We discovered that the golf carts have horns one year, so we're honking and screaming and and rid- headlights and headlights, and we're being ridiculous. And sometimes some of us forget that we're 48 and not 18, and <laughs> we drive fast and try to race everybody and cut corners and fall I, out. I, I, and I, you know, I didn't fall out exactly. I bounced all my oh, stuff. No. All the stuff in my cart fell out. <laughs> I think it was... (laughs) Uh, some trash, perhaps, and some my glasses. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, now the key message that I always wanted to leave people with was the importance of shopping. Louise, I'll let you make that appeal this year.
1: I will say that the one thing that keeps our artists coming back, you know, more and more every year, is if they have a good weekend. So it's really important for the longevity of this festival that everyone comes out and enjoys all that we have to offer and the beautiful exactly. weather and everything, but also that they shop with our artists. These artists are often doing festivals all. All summer and you know indoor festivals all winter and it's the way that they make their living and all of the art at art in the park is original handcrafted artwork you get to meet the creators themselves there it's such a special experience so i really encourage everyone to come out find something that you enjoy and support local art by
0: buying the art from our artists and you don't have to have five thousand dollars you can no, come with twenty five dollars no, and absolutely. find something that is just for you like a mug or a spoon or a small cutting yes. board or a print there or a a little something.
2: purse or, or hand a handbag
0: or a tiny little ring. Yes. But if you do have $5,000 and you Bring want it. to spend it, we can find people yeah, who we'll would find, like. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find some something to put that to good use. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you so much to Louise Sava and Anastasia Pottinger, both for making time to come and chat and for all the incredible Back work to the park, you please. do. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here we go. <laughs> for all the incredible work you do to give Columbia a fabulous Art in the Park Festival. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for the Thank air conditioning. You. Appreciate it. It. <laughs> You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be back with three artists who you'll be able to meet at this weekend's Art in the Park. Stay close to your radio. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. In the first half of the show, we went behind the scenes of art in the park. And in this half, we stay firmly in front of the scene and chat to three artists who will be at this weekend's festival. Yukari Kashihara is a local ceramic superstar whose work you cannot f- have failed to notice if you've ever looked in the windows of the Columbia Art League or Blue Stem. Her gorgeous porcelain tableware painted with Japanese blossoms have won her so many awards that she must be the festival's winningest artist and I know my husband will be laughing out loud right now as he knows how much I detest the word winningest because it's not a word America Kristen Gilchrist is one half of an art duo known as Two Belmont Sisters from Nixon, Missouri, and they've been artists at the festival for the last few years. Their sustainably created bags, wallets, sacks and pouches have won them a strong following among festival visitors. And my third guest is painter Cara Van Leuven, who is making her debut at this year's Art in the Park. When she's not painting animals, mostly horses and dogs, she is competitively jumping or in the agility ring with her two Border Collies, and she's visiting the festival from Grant Fork, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Kara, Kristen, and Yukari. Thank you. Glad Glad to be here. Hi. Now, let's start out by having each of you talk a little bit about your own art. Yukari, you are originally from Osaka in Japan, and your work has a very distinct Asian influence, which you once explained isn't really intentional. It just comes out that way.
4: I I think it just comes out, you know. Um, I like to paint what I want to paint, and uh, I like something simple and... uh, um, I just, you know, like to paint my interpretation of, uh, you know, what I see in the nature. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> now your work has such delicacy
0: and I'm sure a lot of people collect it and put it on the shelf. But as uh-huh. you know, at my house, we put your work to work. Your teapot gets used every morning, as does the beautiful round butter dish that you designed especially for us. And yes, things get chipped the teapot lid gets dropped and we have to glue it back together again but your (laughs) art as you know your art brings practical joy to us every day so when you design your one-of-a-kind artful works what is your dream for them that they're objects of beauty on a shelf or that they have a working life
4: well, it depends on um, the person, but you know, I like I like the fact that my pots are functional. Um, where I design pots, you know, I think about how it can be used. But it's always like uh, you know, compromise of aesthetic and uh, you know, utilitarian aspects. And uh, but you know, there's something nice and rewarding about you know, making a parts that are useful, not just uh, beautiful. It's it's like bonus points. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, when I when I first met you, which is probably more than a decade ago now, you uh-huh. made very intricate ceramic sculptural artworks, and I still regret not buying one. As you don't really make them anymore, so what was the emphasis to move to functional ceramics?
4: Oh, uh, you know, I always made functional parts, and I was making my sculpture work because I was in grad school, and it's also that you know um the times i was in and, and you know you change when your life change and your artwork change and uh, artwork is a reflection of uh, yourself and uh, so you know as i grow my work changes and uh, um, and also you know the type of sculptures i was making it was a little you know too intense for my hands, basically. So I had to, you know, give a little break and do something different.
0: You, certainly you're a booth at art in the park by the end of the weekend there's almost nothing left. I mean you, have to, you must have to have so much inventory to get through an art in the park festival.
4: Uh, yes, and uh, I am planning to you know go to several art shows in a year and uh, um, I'm always you know making and making and uh, and I love it <laughs> Well that's good. <laughs> well I'm not production potter but like, I really love spending time at each piece at a time. And, you know, I spend an incredible amount of time on, you know, a little mug <laughs> or a bowl, or, you know, some simple piece, but I'm spending so much more time, but I have more um, personal relationship with each piece. So every time I see my work, I remember the moment where I created. it.
0: Cara, it's always exciting to welcome artists to the festival for the first time. And the body of work that you are bringing to Art in the Park are your animal paintings, which you paint in a very distinctive style. How did this style emerge? What's your background as an artist?
5: So my background was I was not allowed to go to school to be an artist. So I went to Western Kentucky for photojournalism, which is about as close as I could get. And so much of that influence came from when I got my first job as a designer at a newspaper in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I would spend my mornings going to these really tiny, out of the way Catholic churches, the galleries, there was just, it is a community that loves art and I love the Day of the Dead stuff and the Mexican artwork, so that's really where this started.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see that now you say that I can see that kind of Day of the Dead influence in your work. In, in your artist statement, you wrote that animals, particularly dogs and horses, were essential to your ability to survive a turbulent childhood. So talk about painting as a cathartic
5: process. Absolutely. So I was very competitive in the jumper ring as a child. And my life is great now. But there was a big chunk of some terrible loss. So when I had to sell that horse to go to school there were years of just a lot of unhappiness. I was lost and when the recession hit that's what saved me. I ended up in a downtown loft in St. Louis full of artists and art collectors and I got stuck behind a carriage and I thought well if I'm gonna be poor I'd love to have a good time. And so I was around horses again and All these people were encouraging me to paint, the painting started selling, and life got back on track.
0: You have a very interesting and busy life. So your website covers so many things. Not only are you a painter, which is why you're here this weekend, but you're also a photographer. You also design social media pages, um, and you're a really great writer. Well, thank you. I read your blog pages, and you just write so beautifully and movingly. Do you ever think about incorporating writing into your artwork? I
5: would love to do more of that. I come from a long line of English teachers, and so I couldn't say a sentence without being corrected as a child. But I do love to write. That's still in me. And I've never thought about incorporating it, so maybe I'll have to rack my brain around that on the drive home.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you you would do that, but it just really struck me that your words paint a beautiful picture. You have a, a beautiful way with words, but that makes sense that you come from a long line of English teachers. How do people respond to your work when they see it, generally? So generally, people,
5: they say, well, this makes me smile. And that is what I'm going for, is I just
0: want these pieces to bring joy into your life. And you do commissions too, right? Absolutely, yes. So if anybody brings a picture of their... Any animal or really dogs and horses? Or can it be a turtle? I mean...
2: I, I don't think you can... Commission a commission
5: piece of your turtle? But maybe... Maybe I'm wrong. You don't want to turn it down, but it hasn't happened yet. Right, right. Wait for that day.
0: Kristen, together with April Williams, you are two Belmont sisters. Although she's not your sister. No, she's not. Okay. <laughs> And you make an assortment of gorgeous containers for carrying stuff, from waxed lunch sacks to weekend overnight bags full of useful compartments. Tell us about your work and where it all
3: started. Um, It started, I was about 24, and I went to the store looking for a handbag because I always just shoved everything in my pockets. And I went to the store and looking around, and I didn't find anything I cared for. So I went home, and I sewed myself a purse, and everybody loved it commented on it and they said oh you could sell this I thought who's gonna buy this no one no one's gonna buy this this is specifically designed for me so people kept telling me they loved it and I decided oh I guess I'll start a little hobby and so my sister and I would get together one day a week and we would sew things and then somehow that turned into the business I do now she only did it with me for about a month and that's how April Williams is helping me now. My sister did it for a month and then retired early. And April stepped in in the last couple of years and has helped me out a lot.
0: I love the fact that you have all these different compartments. I mean, women are always complaining, like, why don't don't dresses have pockets and skirts have pockets? And when you do have trousers with pockets, why are they never big enough to put anything into? So do you... Do you design your pockets based on, on what your needs are? Or do people say, you know, I'd really love a pocket for this, and you kind of keep adding to the containers that you have? You know, there, there's a, a fine line
3: where there's too many pockets and not enough pockets. And it really just depends on, on the person. I have people come in that say, oh, this is too many pockets. I'll put something in this pocket, and then I'll be digging through pockets all day long, and I won't be able to find it. So for me, I design it for what I think is functional. I know there are things that I use every day, things that I want to have in my bag that are easy to get to, and so that's basically how I design my pockets. Sometimes I do listen to customer feedback, but for the most part I think it's just basic, the functionality of what I need it for.
0: Right. Now I know sustainability is important to you and that you're working towards being a zero-waste company. So what does that entail in terms of your process?
3: Um, That essentially turns me into a hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm constantly, well, I'm constantly trying to think up new items that I can use all the scrap waste for. And uh, I have a lot of friends that are into zero waste and I've gotten a lot of helpful tips from them. There, there's a lot of stuff you can do with things that you think are trash. Like, I have a friend who works as a, a school teacher, and she said I could donate some of my scrap fabrics to Head Start because they have, like, bins and boxes for kids to do scrapbook projects or just, like, collages. And they also have, like, just textural feeling and touching and smelling for the younger kids. So, like, even all the small, tiny things we consider trash can be turned into something. And there's just a lot that goes into zero waste. Like, There's a lot of thought that goes into it, which is one of my favorite things about my business is thinking about the pattern, figuring out how the pattern's gonna fit together, just the engineering aspect of it. So when I look at a piece of trash, I really enjoy figuring out how can I use that trash.
0: What kind of materials do you use, generally?
3: Um, generally, I use cotton, leather, canvas, and I use a lot of beeswax
0: because I wax my canvas. And explain a bit about that waxing process. And it has antibacterial properties, right? So your lunch sacks are all waxed.
3: Yes. So we use all-natural organic beeswax. And it's raw and unfiltered. So there's a little bit of honey remnants in there and a little bit of the bee propolis, which is like their doormat for cleaning their feet when they go into their hives. And the honey is naturally antibacterial, as is the propolis. So that's still mixed in with the wax a little bit. So it does have a little bit of a natural antibacterial property.
0: So you can take any, Material, Or is it just cotton or canvas? I mean, you wouldn't wax a leather. Actually, we just started waxing some leather. We make some
3: leather-handled um, mugs for, like, just mason jars. And some of the leather that we have is not very stiff. Like, certain parts of the leather are stretchier than others. And so we actually just started this week waxing it just to see the properties that it gives the leather and how well it will hold up. So you can essentially
0: wax anything that an iron can touch. So you take a big piece of canvas and a a jar of the wax and you just smear it on multiple times? Is there a a process, kind of a secret process? (laughs) (laughs) It's
3: a very tedious process. (laughs) Lucky for me, my wife will stand outside all day doing it because we don't do it inside. We have an asthmatic cat. Mm. And I also would die from all... Because the beeswax is raw and unfiltered. There's all kinds of pollen in it. When we put it in... um, a skillet and melt it down, and then paint it on with a paintbrush, and then you have to iron out the excess wax. So it's just a really long, tedious process, but the properties that it gives to the canvas, it's really beautiful. Every time you use your piece, it's going to look a little different. When it gets hot, the wax smooths out and you don't see the wrinkles, and when it gets cooler, you can crinkle it up and give it a really cool texture. It also gives a lot of depth and dimension to the canvas. and it's water resistant and that naturally antibacterial factor. So, it's I just it's one of my favorite things,
0: wax canvas. It has so many properties. But if you have allergies, once it's on the you're saying like you can't have it in the house cuz it has pollen in it when you're melting down, but once it's on the canvas, it's you're not going to react to it if you have allergies.
3: Um, not so much. If it's a really hot day and it softens the wax enough, you might sneeze once or twice, but for the most part, the main reason we don't wax inside the house is because we have a vat of wax that's just melting and releasing all that pollen into the air
0: (laughs) Uh, a process question for all of you when you first sit down and you look at a blank canvas or a lump of clay or a piece of hide does the material coax a form out of you or do you arrive at your blank product with intent where does where does the process start Yukari, what about it? You have
4: a lump of of clay. Well, I have an idea what I want to make, but sometimes clay has own mind, and uh, it wants to become something else. But usually, I I have a pretty good control, yeah.
0: What about a canvas? You go to a canvas, and it's just staring at you, Kara. So
5: I feel like part of my job is to go in the backyard and stare at my muses, Penny and Hazel. And they speak so loudly in subtleties. And so a lot of times, I'll go out there and shoot them, with a camera and are they horses or or dogs or two two horses yes yeah and so I just really I feel like part of my job is to sit on the fence and just watch them
0: and then go back to the canvas and see what happens yep translate it to the canvas and what about a, a sheet of hide uh
3: it's it's a little of both for me I come to it with intent but there's a lot of times like a scar where the horse ran into barbed wire or certain parts of it are just like the belly is soft and stretchy and so that can't be used for certain parts of the bags I use so it's a little bit of both but with the zero waste that we're working towards you kind of have to work with what you have right. so that's how it's a little both for me
0: now art making for all of you is a, mostly a solitary pursuit yet festivals are a barrage of people and questions and interactions and closing sales what part of that journey from making art to selling it is the hardest Kara?
5: I think it is, I heard this on a TED Talk. She called it a vulnerability hangover. And so on Mondays, that is my ultimate day off, and I just need to be totally isolated and unplugged for a day.
0: A vulnerability it's, hangover because you've been so exposed all weekend.
5: Yeah, and talking to so many people, they ask you questions about yourself, you tell them it is exhausting. But I do, you meet such fascinating people from your customers to the other artists. It's worth it to get out of my little shell. What's hardest for you,
0: Kristen?
3: The selling. <laughs> If I could just sit at home and make things all day long, I would. I do really enjoy getting out and talking with people. And the community here in Colombia is amazing. So I really am really excited for
0: this weekend. They're quite a curious crowd, I think, in Colombia. I think people ask a lot of questions. Is that, is that what makes them a fun crowd?
3: I'm not crazy about questions. I'm, I mean, I'll happily answer them. It's, I love to people watch. And so there's just a lot of fun people to watch in Colombia.
0: You I mean, you have a store at your house, so yeah. you're constantly selling. Yes. Is that difficult? Do you enjoy that process? Um,
4: I, I do enjoy, like, you know, it's kind of nice to hear, um, like, uh, feedback from customers and clients. And uh, they talk about, you know, what they like uh, about my work. And uh, it's rewarding to, you know, hear about it when you are selling, you know, your item, your artwork uh, through other galleries, you know, sometimes you just never hear anything about it, what happened to the piece. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I enjoy all process.
0: And I guess that's, that's a good thing about the festival, too, is that you meet the people who are going to buy your babies. And yes. so you know where your, you know, your art children have gone to. So that must be nice. When you, go in, when you sell them in a gallery, you have no idea who the person is who exactly yeah. exactly yeah do you like knowing where your artwork has gone Kara?
5: I love it and I love delivering it to people's homes mm-hmm. because like a few weeks ago I went to this old colonial home on three acres in the middle of Louisville it was just the most magical experience fell in love with the people who
0: bought it and we even hung it right then and there it was really rewarding Chris, I mean, you're selling a lot of smaller things. I mean, again, you can't really keep track of everybody that's purchased. But I mean, is it reassuring to know where things are going somehow?
3: Yeah, and people always come back year after year and they'll say, oh, I still have that. I still use this. And they'll show me the items they've bought and how well they're holding up. So that's,
0: it is very rewarding. Kristen, I'm going to quote from your Facebook page again. You have a great Facebook page with lots of comments on it. As I think it's an interesting question for all of you. You wrote, I often think the hardest part of owning a business is keeping on task. My brain is constantly jumping around, thinking up new things. and I have a hard time sitting still long enough to finish the assigned task that keeps my mortgage paid and food on the table. I struggle with the monotony of making the same product over and over. I'm constantly striving to find the balance between working on new pieces and slogging through the work of producing the old ones that I know will sell and that's that age-old artistic dilemma of creating for your own soul and making for the customer so how do you how do you manage that Yukari where does your soul end and and (laughs) sales start
4: well you know some stuff like you know the people love mugs you know people want to buy mugs but At the end, you know, I just have to make what I want to make. And I'm just going to focus on what I want to (laughs) do. I'm a little spoiled, but, like, you know, um, sometimes you just have to be honest to yourself, and uh, otherwise you're going to get burned up and uh, you know you don't want if you don't want to make marks then don't make marks
0: I mean I think I think both you and Cara I mean you have that you're at that point where what is what you want to paint for your soul is also what is going to sell and I'm sure Kristen that's true for you at some point but then you do have products that you know are going to sell really well at festivals and so you've got to kind of stock up on them right so it must be difficult it is (laughs) (laughs) how do you overcome that
3: I I haven't quite overcome that. I'm working on overcoming that right now currently. I think the thing you just said was, Mm -hmm. yeah, you just have to stop making that and just make something else. Yeah. So I I guess that's the answer to my dilemma, is just stop making what I know will sell and make something and cross my fingers and hope
0: it sells. Kara, do you ever feel like you're on a production line or that's not really how you work? Well, this is pretty timely because
5: I've moved away quite a bit from the day of the dead look we were talking about and I went back to my old mentor from my old building and we started working more in oils and I've developed a new style but to add to what these ladies are saying when you do that and you are doing something for yourself I'm having better success now and so I think it's you just can't deny how you feel about the
0: things and it really shows and have you brought some of that new body of work with you this time? I have, oh, yes. Oh, exciting. Okay. Now, with the rise of online galleries like Etsy, I mean, it's totally changed the feel for artists. You can bypass galleries and festivals, cut out all the middlemen and go straight to the customers. So why sit at a festival all weekend when you could be at home making arts rather than lugging all your stuff into a festival, sitting in a hot park for two days and then taking it all out at the end of the weekend? Like, why do festivals?
4: Well, for me, I mean, online sale takes a lot of time. I mean, like, it looks easy, but like, you know, then you have to be packing and you have to be taking pictures of the piece. And there are a lot more work than, you know, you'd ever notice, I mean, realize. For online, yeah, online gallery, Yeah, online gallery. Yeah. And uh, I like to, you know, see people. I'm more like a face to face person. So. Kara, <laughs> what do you love about festivals?
0: I think
5: there's just a certain energy there that's undeniable. Like I said, from the customers to the other artists, it's just fun to get out and uh, see what's working and what's
0: not and get feedback. I really enjoy that. I'm guessing feedback is is huge for you at the festivals as well.
3: Yes, Feedback, (laughs) feedback is definitely the number one. But it is really rejuvenating to come out and see people looking at your work and commenting. And so being stuck at home working all day and then getting to go to a festival and see the joy the people have on their faces just from looking at things not even buying just looking so that's really rewarding for me and that's probably the main reason we still do
0: festivals what are your best sellers
3: currently we have a new bag it's called the novo it can be carried five different ways and that's currently our new best seller five different ways five different ways it can be a wristlet a fanny pack a shoulder bag a crossover or just you can toss it in, in your purse as a little pouch for organization.
0: And you, do you give everything a little name? Like this is the Novo. Is it like you like kind of the IKEA? Everything has a little name. Yes, <laughs> yes, supplies. yes.
3: <laughs> I go on Google Translate and I
0: type in like the functionality I think the bag has, and then pick my favorite one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so what what is the what is the mark for you of a successful festival? What are you? Do you have like a, a financial amount that you want to make at the end of the festival? Is it the number of people that have been to your booth? Is it the kind of questions you've been asked? What's your, what's your goalpost for a successful festival car? Sales are always the bottom line, but I, I think it's the
5: connections I make, whether I pick up a commission or not, all that stuff factors into it. But just really, weather can be a factor. There's so many things. What about you,
3: Kristen? It's a variety of things. I always like to go around and talk to the artists and find out shows that they like going to. I also, sales are a really big factor.
0: And then for me, it's a way to get out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) So if you had a... It was a really good festival in terms of the people that came and the way you were treated and the weather was good, but sales weren't great. Would you go back? Is that kind of the bottom line is really, I've got to make money at this festival.
3: If I had a really enjoyable time and I made good connections, I would give it another chance for sure. Sometimes it takes a couple of years of going
0: to a festival to build up that base. And I think that's definitely, you've definitely built up a base here in Columbia. And I hope you will too, Cara, this year when you're here. So for everyone who is planning on coming to this weekend's Art in the Park, here's a thought to leave you with when you buy something from an artist you're buying more than an object you're buying hundreds of hours of errors and experimentation you're buying years of frustrations and moments of pure joy you're not just buying one thing you are buying a piece of a heart a piece of a soul a small piece of someone else's life so Happy shopping, everyone. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much to Yukari Kashihara, Kristen Gilchrist and Cara Van Leuven. The Columbia Art League's 61st Annual Art in the Park is at Stevens Lake Park tomorrow from 10 till 5 and Sunday from 10 till 4. As always, entrance to the festival is completely free of charge and parking is available at Boone Hospital Centre. Plus, there are disabled parking spaces in the old 63 parking lot next to the festival's main entrance. There's lots of information at artintheparkcolumbia.org and remember that this is is a rain or shine event. So thankfully the forecast looks like it's going to be mostly sunny and a really beautiful festival temperature. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts and before we hand the airwaves over to Terry Gross and Fresh Air I have a list of arts events that are coming up over the next seven days that would like to find their way into your diaries. After a couple of weeks the arts are back in force this week. At the Warehouse Theatre at Stevens College tonight their Summer Theatre Institute programme continues with a night of Shakespeare and stage combat in a show called Oh for a News of Fire. The show starts at seven thirty, and like all the Summer Theatre Institute shows, it is totally free to attend and open to everyone. It is also opening weekend for Maplewood Barns' second show of their summer season, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. The play will have a three weekend run at the barn, and tickets are ten dollars. At Rose Park, there is a Summerfest concert tonight with Buck Cherry on stage at seven p.m. And in Sedalia, the annual Scott Joplin International Ragtime Festival has concerts and events all day today and tomorrow go to scottjoplin.org to see the full schedule the big event this weekend is of course the columbia art leagues art in the park at Stevens lake park where you can find over 100 artists from across the united states selling their art there is no entry fee so go and peruse and you know what buy yourself something nice Tomorrow night at Jesse Hall, the University Concert Series and Missouri Contemporary Ballet present Alice in Wonderland. There are two shows this weekend, Saturday at 7 and Sunday at 3, and tickets cost from $28. The Missouri Symphony Orchestra's Hot Summer Nights Festival kicks off tomorrow night at the United Methodist Church with an ambush Sorry, an ambush of conductors. That's at 7 p.m. and tickets are $10. Out of town, the Maples Repertory Company in Macon has its boots and black tie fundraiser Saturday night. Tickets for that are $50 and the evening starts at 6. Sunday afternoon, the Vox Nova Chamber Choir at First Baptist Church at 3 p.m. as part of the Odyssey Chamber Music Series season. Tickets cost $20 and you can buy those on the door. Monday evening at Nifong Park, the amazing singer-songwriter Ina Cook performs as part of the boot. History and Culture Centers concert series. Ina's concert starts at seven and tickets are ten dollars. Tuesday night, author Sherry Jones will be at Skylark Bookshop to discuss her new book, Josephine Baker's Last Dance. You can hear her talk at 6pm, and that is a free event. And Grammy Award winner and feminist icon Annie DeFranco is back in Columbia and live at Rose Park next Tuesday. Her concert starts at 7, and tickets are $25. Wednesday evening, the Missouri Symphony Orchestra's Hot Summer Nights continues with Mr. Beethoven Visits, a free family concert at the Missouri Theatre, and that starts at 7pm. At Café Berlin, the Campfire Storytelling Collective will have a reading by eight local writers and that starts at 8pm. And Rose Park's Movies in the Park Summer season continues on Wednesday next week with the romantic teen comedy drama Love, Simon. movie starts at 8.30 and it is free to attend. Next Thursday, June the sixth, hot summer nights presents Strike Up the Band, a free community concert at the Stevens Lake Park Amphitheater. That's at seven p.m. At the Lyceum Theatre in Arrowrock, next Thursday afternoon at two p.m. is the opening performance for their first production of the season, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, and tickets cost from seventeen dollars. At Rose Park, eight-time Grammy Award-winning musician and producer Stephen Marley is performing at seven p.m. And in Jefferson City, there are two productions opening next Thursday. The Little Theatre presents Mr. Roberts at the Miller Performing Arts Centre. That show starts at 7.30 and tickets are 15 and the abbott inspired musical Mamma Mia opens at Capital City Productions. This is the start of a three-week run and although all of the dinner theatre performances are sold out there are still some additional production-only shows that may still have tickets. You have been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me Dynamoxen and my good friend and sound engineer Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views and interviews on the arts in Mid-Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.